As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I greatly appreciate you all tuning into this episode and I know I can feel it's going to be a powerful one. So I'm in the studio today with Chris Halter, who is a faculty member of the Talent Magnet Institute, dear friend, one of the most amazing executive coaches and strategists that I've had the pleasure of working with, and Tim Beatty, the president of Bullen Ultrasonics out of Eaton, Ohio. So thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Excellent. So we're going to dive into some tough conversations today around culture change, around organizational leadership, and what it feels like to really be in that seat, right? And you two have had the pleasure of working together and being in in that seat, supporting you, Tim, in that seat and working with the organization and team members. And I think it's a good time for our audience members and myself to hear just a reminder of what it takes to really lead well, what it takes to lead through change navigating change management, which you could almost say every organization in the world is experiencing. So I would love to hear a little bit about, Tim, in your eyes, the current organizational pivot, if any, that you've had to go through over the last, let's say, eight to nine weeks and what that experience has felt like. And then, Chris, I would love for you to help us dive into even more of the backstory of the last few years of change management for Bullen. Yeah, so probably helpful at first if I can give a little background on what we do. So then I could talk about some of the change we've gone through. So really, we are a manufacturing company. So I've been around for about 50 years and we do ultrasonic machining. So a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's essentially machining with sound. So we channel sound at a very high frequency to be able to machine parts that go into aircraft engines, they go into parts that make semiconductors, and they also go into lots of different medical equipment, automotive technologies, those are called MEMS devices. So over the last three or four months, we've gone through some significant change. We saw a surge in one of our divisions, which was our MEMS division that helps make ventilators and respirators. So we were Caught off guard a little bit by that. Didn't know that our customer was producing those. Ends up they produce 90% of the pressure sensors that go into ventilators, respirators, Hmm. and IV drips. However, the other aspect of our business is aerospace. So that industry has pretty much screeched to a halt. Hmm. And that's the largest division of our company. So we went from pretty significant growth mode to slow down, hit the brakes, maybe even take a left turn mode. (laughs) So, and I think we've kind of gone through two black swan events, right? I mean, we've definitely gone through COVID-19, but we're also currently going through a second black swan event, which is the eyes opening to systematic racism. Mm -hmm. And so it's been interesting to navigate both of those two black swan events Mm -hmm. in the last couple of months. What have you learned relating to how are you helping your people navigate through these significant changes, right? So let's say back in February, we all thought aviation is going to be one of the top industries and drive X amount of percent of our revenue. Yeah. How have you been able to reposition, retool, re-onboard to the current strategies of the organization? Yeah. I almost would rather have Chris kind of jump in here because there's a foundation that was laid with our work with Chris and Lynn Rule as well that helps set the tone for that. So if it's okay, I'll let Chris kind of jump in and set that foundation and I can kind of build upon that for how we responded. Excellent. Yeah, so I think it was August of 2017 is when we first met and there was some struggles within the organization. I think at that time, what Bullen was facing was a transition in leadership. And with that became, I think, partly maybe somewhat of an identity crisis. And, and that kind of filtered into the organization. And I would say specifically too, with the leadership. So we had a number of folks leaving at that time and transitioning out of the business. And Tim got a hold of us, 
we came in and began to first assess what was going on within the culture and then help walk them through the impact of both the conditions that they were facing, the interactions that were taking place, and really reestablishing their core values, reestablishing how they interacted with one another. At the end of the day, no matter what Black Swan event we're talking about, it really comes down to relationship. And when we talk about relationship, it has to do with respect and trust. And so a big portion of the work that we focused on was how do we establish this maybe new mindset around how do we build trust? And one of the big things that we focused on and that we do say is respect isn't earned. And that's a misnomer in our society. We think people need to earn our respect. And the reality is the foundation of the human adventure is we're all created equal. And when we see each other that way and we grant respect to one another, then we have a basis to build trust. But if we feel like respect has to be earned, we withhold that from certain individuals until they do what we want them to do, which causes a very difficult working environment, causes a very difficult living environment across our country. So that was really a big focus of what we, what we worked on initially. And I would say that within probably six months, we began to see a pretty quick turnaround. And a big portion of that I would love to say it was our coaching, but I would say a bigger portion of it was the fact that it was very well embraced from the top down within the organization. And some really healthy conversation began to take place and what we would describe as dialogue. And most of us don't really know what true dialogue is. Mostly we speak, well, one of the phrases we say is two monologues don't make a dialogue. And most of our conversations have been people just telling each other, this is what I think, but no one's really listening. And probably the biggest void, venturing off here, but probably the biggest void that I see that's happening in, in the workplace, but also in America, is everyone has a platform to talk, but there's very little platform for people to listen. Yeah. 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 We have talked a lot about effective communication does not mean telling. Mm-hmm. Right. Effective communication is all about hearing what's being said yes. and opening ourselves up. And I think this is an organizational shift. Right. I think there are a lot of companies that think, oh, we need to be better at communication. And that is telling the story we want everyone to hear versus creating actual discussion yes. and hearing and going from monologue to dialogue. So, Chris, I just want to double click on something you just said. Trust should be granted. And I tie that into and the people at Bolin embraced it, right? And I think that's probably a moment for those listening to really think about when we grant trust, you're naturally going to embrace feeling trusted mm-hmm. and trustworthy. Can you share a little bit more about your learnings and experiences there? Well, what I was aiming at with that comment is that we grant respect. Okay, trust is something we earn. But with that, when we give people the benefit of the doubt to begin with, that opens up the door for the dialogue to take place, for the understanding to happen between two people trying to seek to understand one another. And from that, trust can be built. So it's the respect that's really the key component to it. And when we have respect for all people, you know, one of the things that we see a lot in leadership is that I'm afraid to validate what someone's saying because that means I have to do what they're asking. And that's not a true statement. Most people don't need to get their way, but most people, everyone needs to be heard. And once someone's heard, then you've opened up the opportunity to collectively talk through, well, here's what we can do. Here's why we can do it. Here's what we have the resources for. And then it becomes truly a dialogue. And now you have two people seeking to solve the same problem versus setting up us versus them. And this is what we see most often when we go into organizations. It's deteriorated to a place of us versus them. And I think Bolin has done an excellent job in removing that barrier. When we first came in, there were lots of comments about this term, people on the other side of the wall are the carpet dwellers, the separation between the manufacturing floor and the front office. And the thing that we see, we get the advantage of when we go into these environments is we meet with everyone involved. And we see that in most situations, ownership or leadership, they're not tyrants. 
they want things to work out. They want to see the company succeed. They want everyone to flourish in those environments. But the only way that's going to happen is when it's a collective move. And it can't be, we'll do our part, you do your part. No, we have to do this together. You know, again, going back to what's going on in our society right now, having an individual pull themselves up by their bootstraps is, I think, a fallacy. That happens when other people help mm. and when we're collectively trying to solve problems. Most of our problems today are way more complex than one individual can solve, whether that be leadership or the president of the company. And so many, I mean, we can feel ourselves in this moment, right? Where there's an opportunity to extend our hand, not just expect someone to follow. Tim, as you've gone through, you went through that journey, you reached out. I heard Chris share that you reached out. What brought you to that point? Yeah, desperation. We weren't so sure that the business was going to be able to continue. And the way I like to think of culture is it's just like the soil that we live in a rural community. Uh, that's where Bullen is located. And so, you know, I look out my window and I see a, I see a farm and the success of the crop is directly contingent upon the success or the fertileness of that soil. And so if the soil is rich and nutrient rich, it produces a good crop. And as businesses, we plant seeds into our business. People come into those and they're planted into those. And you can take different types of seed, wide varieties of seeds, and they can flourish. But if you plant that seed in a toxic soil, it's not going to flourish. And our soil was toxic. And I could see it. And one of the things I always like to share, and anytime I talk with another business owner who's thinking about a culture transformation, my advice is the very first thing, look in the mirror. Because everything you see inside your organization is a reflection of you. And I had to come to terms with the problem inside of me. Quite honestly, that's the reflection I'm going through now around this issue of racism and systematic racism. You, we should always look internally first and we should always see, you know, the affections inside of me, right? And so I had to see that first and I had to try to correct that inside of me and through Chris's coaching and through some of the curriculum that we went through and things like that, I was able to see that. And every single member of the team had to see that as well, mm. is to see the flaw in our thinking, the flaw in our DNA, the flaw in our code. And Chris has a great definition of culture as it's the thousands and thousands of interactions that happen in every given moment between all the different individuals in your company. It's not a magical formula, right? It's a simply all those interactions are the sum total of your culture. And we were having toxic interactions and those toxic interactions were creating toxic cultures. So we started to fix those interactions by listening, mm. by giving respect and by showing what trust looks like. And I, I love, uh, Brene Brown has a great definition of trust that I use with my children. Trust is like a bank account and it's earned, right? And so people make deposits they do things that build trust and people make withdrawals. They do things that take away trust. And at the end of the day, is that deposit positive? Is the balance positive? And as I did orientation with a new employee yesterday, I said to him, we have to build trust for you, right? You have to see that I'm trustworthy. You have to see that Bullen is trustworthy at the same way that you're building trust as well. But respect, you have that immediately. Mm. We respect you simply because you're human. You're a human being. Mm. And we expect you to show respect to everybody else here, but we recognize that trust is something that's earned over time. So there's a distinction there. When you were looking at the topic around knowing this is a, really a culture problem, this isn't a systems problem, this isn't yes. an operations problem, it's yes. not a sales problem, yes. and sales aren't going to cure this problem, yes. right? Did you go through some of that reflection, trying to figure out what part of our business is broken and why is it creating this way? And then having this reflection of, ooh, this is what culture means. Yeah, yeah, because I, I have an MBA. And so I did all those things, right? We set strategy. We set performance objectives. We had fantastic technology. We had a huge opportunity to be able to grab innovative technology that was coming up, both on our customer side and on our side. And we couldn't get any of the planes to, to land. Hmm. And we had essentially diagnosed the problem as a culture problem. Mm. And, you know, that was showing up in lots of different ways. But 
It took me about a year to figure that out, that it was a culture problem. And I think that Chris had properly diagnosed that. That's kind of their specialty. And so we started to, to begin to work on that for sure. Yeah, we see so often that there's a, we're hiring the wrong people, right? We're bringing the wrong people in and you start diagnosing this and understanding the history and the brand of that organization. And it's like, no, it's not you're hiring the wrong people is that the toxic is culture here and no one could be successful here. And in some cases, being one in a family business, there are lots of family businesses that that's been reigning permeated for 50 years or 60 years or 115 years. Sometimes we have to reflect that this isn't a bad hire problem. This is a culture problem. This is what leadership means and why we adhere to this definition around Culture is made up of the thousands and thousands of interactions we have each and every day, and you can't fake it, right? So we can't band-aid that. Yes, you right? can't. And so many CEOs and presidents and business owners, they have a very different view of what the culture is because in their mind, there's rose-colored glasses on. And that self-reflection that you had that this is bigger than this. There's something else going on here. I need real help, and I need to make a real investment in this topic. One of the greatest challenges that we see is that many of the leaders are guarded from the truth of what's going on. Mm. And so they've surrounded themselves with people who don't want to disappoint them, mm-hmm. which is not unusual. But in those conversations, they don't get to hear the really, reallys about what's happening until it gets to really a, a desperate situation. But the hope is, with what's even going on now, that there is a revitalization that's taking place of truly listening. I feel like that's what's happening here is an opportunity to truly listen. Mm -hmm. And I really find it interesting, Tim, when you brought up, and I've actually never heard it described this way, that you channel sound. And I thought, wow, what a a prophetic (laughs) (laughs) way to describe that, because what sound is your organization making? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And the impact that that has internally and the impact that has we focus a lot on the sound we make externally. Right. Telling the clients all the things they want to hear. But what's the sound that you're producing internally that impacts really the hearts and the minds of the people that are working there? You know, one of the, I think, great success stories about Bullen is one of their top leaders had resigned from the company when we first came in. And just reflecting back now. He's back in the organization. He is one of the top leaders of the organization. He's one of the top thinkers in the organization. And for as good as he was then, I think he's even better now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What's interesting is fundamentally it's, you know, with a few exceptions, it's the same people that were there that weren't succeeding collectively as a group. And now it's, it's essentially the same people, but it's the same people that are transformed and different mm-hmm. and have a different way of thinking, a different way of interacting. Trust has been built. Respect has been established. Core values have been established. So that's the amazing thing to me is when I look back, we didn't have to gut the company and restart because the people weren't the problem, as you said, right? The more new people you're going to bring in, the more toxic the culture was going to get. The problem had to be The infection had to be rooted out from the inside, right? Yeah, the topic that we've talked about a lot with Lynn, and Lynn Rule was referenced earlier that I've had with Lynn for the last 10 years, is these skills aren't taught. True listening skills and dialogue skills and what it means to be okay. I mean, Lynn had to help me get okay with conflict, right? Hey, Mike, if you're going to take over your family business and, oh, by the way, you're consulting, right? So you're in the middle of challenges and change and change and conflict happen all the time in the world of leadership. And, you know, I've been doing this 20 years. It was probably 10, 12 years ago where Lynn really started working with me of like, conflict is good if you know how to manage the conversations. And these skills aren't taught, right? So leaders come out of universities and get up through from elementary all the way through college. There's coaches and teachers. And then you get dumped into the work world and you're swim on your own, right? And this is a great topic of these are mature leaders that are technically probably the best in the world Mm -hmm. at what they do, but we still haven't had the opportunity to learn how to, how to give respect, how to earn trust appropriately, how to manage through change and difficult conflict. I mean, it sounds like that's what you experienced around skills building. I had a little bit of an aha moment 
at some point, and I can't remember where this was in the journey, but I've been a coach for a long time, a baseball coach. And of course, all coaches are cheerleaders to a certain degree, right? You're encouraging, you're praising the, the players for what they do, but all coaches have to correct, right? I was a, a bit of an expert on, on pitching and kind of learned how to do that. So if I saw a kid whose you know, arm slot was coming down, I'd walk out to the mound and I'd say, you don't know this, you can't see this, but your arm slot's coming down. Get it back up again. And I'd lift up his arm and show him where it needed to go. And I struggled with that as a leader in the work world until I took on the mindset of a coach and realized that a coach isn't just praising. It's not just, you know, getting out of the way and stepping out into the dugout. It's actually stepping in there sometimes and showing people when their arm slots off. And because they improve when they see that and you can see something that they can't see, it's their blind spot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Every pitcher has it, every yeah. hitter has it, every employee has it. And so we try to identify those blind spots. And a good culture is not just about being nice to each other all the time. In fact, our hard conversations, our accountable conversations have increased over time and continue to get better and more effective and more frequent. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the need for creativity within an organization, that really only comes when you allow people to have conflict, to mm-hmm. wrestle through the possibilities and what could be and still maintain respect and a safe environment for those conversations to happen. But if not, it's going to be whoever speaks loudest gets their opinion out, and that's what we end up doing, and it doesn't usually produce what it could be. What we don't do is leverage the collective wisdom of the whole organization when we don't allow. And I I would say it's what you said, Tim, about creating that environment, but unless people see that it's safe to hold the president of the company accountable to something, sure. yeah. they'll never feel safe enough to share good ideas, right? Because why would I be the one to put my great idea on the table and have it shot down? Yes, yes. You've all probably heard about the Google study that was done called Aristotle, and they were you know, looking at what was the right makeup, and they were really focusing on technical skills and degrees. What was the right makeup of the best team? And the biggest thing they walked away with was, is there a level of psychological safety within that group? Mm-hmm. If I could let out a big amen. Right now, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is something that's, having lived through it, Tim, and it sounds like you have as well, right? With this awake, like, wow, right? When I have a team member come to me and say, hey, how about we just take that? If you could leave the room or no, that's not the direction or these are the kind of cultures we could create. And you've got to set your ego aside and ask yourself, do I actually believe we can achieve the mission of our organization? You're not going to do it on your own. Yeah. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're in that CEO or president seat and you're, or you're brought into an organization as the president and CEO, the best thing you can do is to build that type of culture mm-hmm. where people can be their best and have their most trustworthy environment they've ever worked in, right? And have the most respect. I'd give an example, and I've shared this on across the couple of episodes, but one of our clients, one of our early episodes, Mehmet Yuksik, I had the opportunity to help him build his team for many years in his organization when he came into his last company. And I remember sitting at an annual event in Chicago, and a team member who I did not know came up to me and thanked me. Hmm. And I said, well, we've never met before. I appreciate you thanking me, but I'd love to, you're welcome. (laughs) Right. And he said, I've never been in an environment where I have felt more trusted to do my best work, Hmm. where I don't have to watch what's going on behind my back, where I know from the, in this case, his boss and his boss's boss, our firm had the pleasure of helping bring into the organization. But that doesn't start if you don't have a CEO like Mehmet that is setting the tone of expectation Mm. that this is how we operate. This is the role that I'm going to play, and I'm not afraid to get into your space and to grab your face mask and have a conversation. But if it's needed, great. If it's not, I need people who can run this business without me, right? And we need to be setting cultures and hiring people to the point that this is what's expected of me. I am actually enabled to lead the way that we should be leading. And I know that my team is going to be behind me mm-hmm. as we make decisions. 
and to create this environment where you're not afraid to hire people that are stronger than you, right? If we really want to achieve our biggest dreams, you can't do this by yourself. Yeah. And the environment that you just described, Chris, is one that I know there's individuals that are listening to this saying, I wish I were in one of those. And oh my goodness, I didn't know that I've never quite viewed culture as the problem because I think our culture is great, right? And I think this is the opportunity for the expertise to, there are people who can help you innovate greater, create better performance, increase sales, be more profitable. And it doesn't have to do with those functions. A lot of it has to do with culture. Tim, have you seen an actual ROI or has it been all just feel good? (laughs) Yeah, there's most business owners would probably say that if there wasn't an actual ROI, does it really have value, right? Right. And I could argue that a little bit, but thankfully I don't have to because we've seen a pretty significant ROI. Probably depends on when I draw the line of demarcation of when we started and you never really stop. But yeah, we, we went for many years without being profitable. And as soon as we started this culture transformation, we've been profitable and haven't looked back. And I forget some of the numbers that we've seen. It's been at least tripling the size of our business and revenue. And boy, it's been 10x on profit, something like that. But pretty significant numbers, tangible numbers that have proven that it's been effective. People always ask me, well, why? You know, well, it's actually pretty simple because if you are getting the best out of your engineering team, if you're getting the best out of your sales team, if your sales and engineering team can communicate together, how much more effective are you going to be able to respond to the call of your customers and the challenges that they face in front of you? And then you got to hand it off to operations. Well, if operations can say, hey, engineering, we can't do this. And hey, sales, I don't think that's going to be the right cost framework. All these difficult conversations that have to happen, those aren't about systems. I mean, there are some systems involved. They're fundamentally about culture. What's that culture about? Well, really, it's about communication. It's about empathy. It's about the ability to show respect. It's the ability to be able to listen. And those kind of intangible things are what turn into real profit dollars and real sales dollars at some point. Mm. And you have to hire people, right? And how do you know how to hire people? And what kind of people are you going to hire? And what characteristics are you looking for? And I could go on and on. It, It invades every aspect of your company, no doubt. Have you had experiences where you've brought individuals from the outside and you've had to like what's onboarding look like now? Because there's some skill sets that people are coming in with that they yes. don't have. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to do, actually. So I took a lot of these concepts that we talked about, and I say I generally. There was a, a group of us that worked together on this, and we put them into some discrete statements. So, I mean, we have, of course, these foundational principles of trust and respect, and even we put a word to it, which is love. I mean, a love is essentially the foundation that sits below all of these things. And then we created core values around that. And then those core values have various different statements underneath them that are very practical ways that we live out this culture. So when we onboard people, I just did it yesterday, brought on a new employee. I personally sit down with that new employee and I say, here's the heartbeat of our company. Here's what we're about. Here's who we are. And here's the expectation for you. In fact, it's one of my, I love doing this part and I've I've been able to do it literally 60, 70 times over the last couple of years as we brought on new employees. And one of the things I say to them is, first, we're family. And as a family member, we were talking about this earlier, here's the expectations for you. Oh, and by the way, these are expectations for me. And oh, by the way, if you see me not adhering to these core values, you come up here, walk in this office, and you tell me. Mm -hmm. And the example I always use is I have family core values for my personal family. We spent last summer working on them. We put them up on the wall. And frequently, my 12-year-old daughter will point out when I am not adhering to these core values. And I want that. I desire that. I encourage that. I apologize when I don't. And so I, I use that example to the employees because that's my expectation for them is I desire, I'm not going to do these core values perfectly, but that's my heart's desire. Mm. And so we try to get that right in the beginning. People come with baggage through the door, right? So we have some things to overcome sometimes. And 
that can be a challenge in itself. But we try to set that tone early around what the expectations are. And it sounds like creating the culture, just the statement you just made, we all have baggage, right? As humans, we carry that on our backs and creating an environment that it's okay to also work through some of that too here, right? Because we want you, I know one of the things that I've adhered to, I want people to leave our organization stronger, better, more productive, and more empowered if they have to leave our organization for any reason, right? That people, when they step in, that they're healthier as they exit. Yes. And that discussion, you know, plays into our tagline of relationships, work, community, and life, right? Yes. So I have to care. Yes. I have to care about the whole person. Yes. Yeah. And we have to care as employers about the struggles and challenges that people are living that we don't understand. But I'm creating an environment where I want to help. I want to be an advocate. I want to be an ally. I want to serve you. I want to help you work through these as much as I can. And did all of your people get coaching or was it group workshops? Was it a mixture of both, Chris? So there was training for everybody in the organization. And uh, since then, Bullen has kind of taken that over for themselves. So I believe that everyone's still going through the training. And then we still do coach most of the leadership team. And then we will also do coaching for any individuals that are struggling in their transition, may it be a new position or a different relationship. Because reality is, as Tim was saying, conflict happens. And so they have something in place that if they can't help settle it themselves, then we help them as an independent third party resolve that. So there's ongoing coaching uh, within the environment, Mm. which is a big commitment that Bullen has made. But I think, you know, it's paid off for them. It keeps things consistent. I want to go back for a second. You know, the difference that we see in organizations is what Bullen has done. Many companies have done the the exercise of determining core values, mm-hmm. but they remain aspirational for most companies. I think even in what happens when these new employees come in and Tim interviews that or gives them the training and onboarding them, I think there's an initial lift where, oh my God, I can't believe this actually exists somewhere. But the real fruit of that is when they go to work the weeks and months later and they see it actually taking place. Mm. That's the game changer. Because it's great that the president says this Mm -hmm. and hopes that's true. But when it is true, that's the psychological safety and care. You know, and Tim used the word love. And this is a word that we've used often. And usually we get the head tilt, like, where does that fit in business? And one of the questions we often ask is, do you want people to like their job or love their job? The only way you can produce someone loving their job usually is by loving them as an individual. Yeah. Now, I think in many of our, I would say, in Western culture, we have a misconception of what love is so that we have no context for it within the workplace. Mm -hmm. But the efforts that listening is a loving act, being respectful of someone is a loving act, holding people accountable. Actually, accountability is one of the greatest acts of love Mm -hmm. because it says, I care about you and I hope for you. If you don't hold me accountable, what it really communicates is, I have no hope for you or for us. And so when you, as Tim said, when you have that mind shift around, oh, so that is okay. It's all in why we do it. You know, using Tim's analogy about pitching, it probably had as much to do with the tone of voice and that this young man heard that you cared about him, not you were belittling him or trying to shame him into performing better. And again, I think that's the essence of it becoming real or that work Tim talked about, the soil. The soil is what produces the smell of a rose. Because if you cut that rose off, right, the smell's going to go away. So where's it really coming from? Mm-hmm. The soil that it's right grown in. And individuals, we're not that far from the soil. Businesses love to talk about family, right? You hear that a lot. We're a family here. Or it's the such and such company family, what I love to say to our employees is, what's the connective tissue of a family? A good family has the connective tissue of love. And, you know, if you ask any one of my children, well, the definition of love is they could tell you in a heartbeat, which is commitment and sacrifice, right? And so what's that look like inside a business? What's that look like inside of a family? And 
as soon as I say that to one of our employees, all of a sudden the lights go on. They're now thinking of the work that they do, whether it's a manager or whatever their role is in the company, thinking of it like a parent, thinking of it like a family member and how love is demonstrated. On the flip side, lots of families, lots of businesses are dominated by the opposite of love, which Mm -hmm. is fear. And they're very familiar with what fear looks like. You're very familiar with what a fearful parent looks like or a fearful child or a child child who is fearful. And so we talk directly about love versus fear and how those two different cultures look very, they're polar opposites, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll say to them, you are now a person who helps create an environment of love, a culture of love. And it's not me. I don't set that culture. You know, the culture is created by everybody here. It's, again, these interactions that are occurring. Yeah, so as a parent of three kids, I remember a a couple who we went through their parenting classes through church, and their comment was, if you want a confident child, let them see how secure their parents are with each other, right? And let them feel the experience of being in a house that has security and trust and listening skills. And you'll build and boost a more confident child, right? And this was, you know, our oldest is 12. Yeah. And he loves to let me know when things aren't quite like he's expecting (laughs) them to be. Um, But the other dynamic here for our listeners, the distilling down around, we call them the four laws of communication. So staying current, attack the problem, not the person act, don't react and speak the truth in love, right? They do come from scripture concepts. And we talk about them, they're in our employee handbook, right? And even for me, I had to learn that conflict is learning the other person's view and being more empathetic. And we can shelter and we can push off because we don't want to deal with this tough conversation, or we can seek to understand why this made you feel that way versus, well, you're attacking my credibility, right? And you're attacking my character by saying, I didn't follow through on a commitment. And it's okay to say, you know, hey, we're not following through on commitments. Therefore, you know, I'm losing a little bit of, I'm hearing what you're saying, but you're also not doing it. And that happens often with mm-hmm. visionary CEOs and entrepreneurs and, and just people that are really busy, right? So remember your word is your bond and people need to be able to trust in your word. But when they do confront you, that should be welcomed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not yeah. how dare you. Right. And that's an ego thing. We've Mm got to get over. Chris, we do talk often in our podcast episodes, like we need to learn how to lead and love people well. And you want to create an environment of what you're describing that the two of you have been working together with Bolin. It is an environment where people know I'm in a trustworthy environment. Mm -hmm. I know that they value me for everything I can bring. And in fact, guess what? No other organization has gotten my best before because I never felt I could bring it because my best looks different, right? My best operates maybe a little different and is a little outside the norm. And I do agree with the discussions that we're having on systemic racism. And there's individuals that are white that are saying, how did I never know this? And there's also individuals who are African-American saying, how are you just waking up to this, Mm -hmm. right? And how are you just now seeing this? And Let's honor where we all are and how can we hear and make it a dialogue and not a monologue, right? But it can't happen on its own. It's got to have facilitated expertise, Chris, of what you bring to the world and your skills and your gifts to help people say, I never thought of it that way. Well, you were talking earlier about these skills not being taught to us. And what, you know, one of those major skills is conflict resolution, right? How do I resolve conflict? Because if you don't resolve conflict, there's not a lot of other options other than if I keep you around, it means I'm tolerating you, which then if we put that in terms of performance, who doesn't pick up on someone tolerating them? And that, does that not impact your performance? I, I don't know how it doesn't. And so unless you have the tools Even if you want to love somebody, it's going to be difficult because you don't, I don't know how to confront the behavior that's not in accordance with our core values. And without that, then I feel like, well, I'll just let it go. And these things that we let go build up. It's like, you know, we see this playing out in our society as it relates to emotional depression, right? Oftentimes it's because it's this pent up emotion that we don't know what to do with. It doesn't go away. 
right? It's energy and it's stored in our bodies and it's, it will come out. There is, it's not a if, it's when. And so it's the same thing in our environments. And so our, our ability to be able to work through those issues actually strengthens the bond between people. Otherwise, after you leave, that's when I tell the others in the room what I really think about you, which is very destructive. And really, a lot of these concepts we're talking about, whether it be psychological safety and, and trust and respect, and beneath all of that is love. We may be afraid of the word, but it's actually the only thing that I know that truly transforms. And so without it, there's really not a lot of hope. And a lot these other things, you may get temporary spurts of, of growth, but it's not sustainable because it's not lighting a fire within somebody that we talk about this intrinsic motivation where people use their discretionary effort toward the good of the organization or the good of others. That's the gold mine. It's commitment and sacrifice, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, which is love by definition. Yeah, because it's what we say is people come into an organization and they look for what's the minimal requirement to keep my job. And that's where we start. And depending upon how I'm treated will dictate whether or not I go above or below that line. But who wants to run a business or work in a business that's mediocre? This is one of the things I've been coaching a lot of my clients on. We had a lot of this conversation about returning to normal. And my belief is if that's our goal, then what are we really returning to? I'm a bit of a wordsmith, and I went and looked up the word normal, and it's described by average. And so I've been asking, do you want to go back to average? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or what can you learn from this moment as hard as it's been? And I'll say now both moments, as hard as it is. What can I take forward and what do I need to leave behind? That's true progression for an organization or an individual. And now's a time so the entire world was shut down for a period of time, right? And there were some organizations running because of being tagged essential. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the systems and the operations that we operated in 10 weeks ago, there were periods of time that everyone, every business was completely turned off to some degree. And we showed that we're able to create a new, the phrase new normal. Mm -hmm. We also agree of resetting and let's reimagine what our future should be. And let's just change it, right? And that sounds a lot easier than it really is. Yep. But part of this, as you're listening today to this episode, it is beginning this new way of thinking relating to the skills, the respect, the trust that I'm able to build and leading and loving people well, mm -hmm. right? And thinking, okay, what does that actually mean, right? I'm listening to this podcast episode. Where do I start? I don't know how to begin to anchor those skills. Mm -hmm. And then we say, well, reach out to us yeah, because this is what we do. And these are the team members and the resources that we have available to you to help you lead differently, to help you reframe what success is. You want to leave a legacy, be the organization that someone says, I've never worked in a culture like this. I got to bring my greatest good mm -hmm. and they respected and loved all people. You want to leave a legacy in terms of being a great people leader. These are the types of things that elevate your businesses. Fortunately, I've had the pleasure of working alongside of Lynn and Chris Halter for many years, Lynn Rule and Chris Halter, and being stewarded by Lynn. And I've had my hand slapped more than once by <laughs> Lynn because of learning how to communicate more effectively, right? Stop interrupting. Listen, listen, hear what's being said. Don't think six steps ahead just because you're an ENTJ. Right. 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 And I think in people share as a family business leader, it wasn't until those moments that I recognized I really don't know it all. And I need to humble myself and realize that everyone else in the room does bring a lot more knowledge and different knowledge for me to listen. And that's where great things happen. And that's what we're finding for many leaders. That actual scenario is bringing them freedom. When you come to the realization, not only do you not know it all, you don't have to. That's not our purpose. That's why you have teams around you, and that's why you have right. other people in the organization. Yeah, freedom. And I think that brings us kind of full circle back to the original question that I never answered. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which, is, uh, <laughs> which is, 
how have we navigated this, these two major worldwide events? And so we've actually provided the answer already between Chris and I, which is that we had these foundational principles that have already been in place. We had you know, systems in place that reflected those foundational principles. So when your business screeches to a halt and you have to figure out how you're going to navigate that, you look back to your core values. And one of our core values was people over profits. And so we went right back to that core value and said, how do we prioritize our people right now in COVID and deprioritize profits? Now, obviously, business need profits to be able to survive. And there's a limit there. But we drew the line on what that limit was going to be. These are the profits that we need to keep our business running. And we're going to get right to that line with prioritizing our people. And so we thought about that from employee safety. We were well ahead of the curve every step of the way on every, nearly every safety measure. We were essential. We remained open. We thought about, okay, we have not laid off anybody during this time, yet we've seen significant decreases in our revenue. And we got creative with our employees about ways to be able to cut costs and to be able to sustain that. And so we tried to really be putting our people first through this time and lots of different things that we put in place and we're thinking about. But back to this idea of these weren't ideas that came about by me sitting in my room, you know, in my office and, you know, writing down a piece of paper or sending an email. This was engaging our teams, listening to our employees, understanding what their concerns were, right? Are they interested in hazard pay or are they more interested in the issue of safety and coming into the office to more often than being potentially exposed to the virus. So we listened to them and we put systems and policies in place that reflected what we heard. Those were systems that were in place because of the the soil, the culture that was set. Mm -hmm. And today, you know, with Black Lives Matter, right? I mean, uh, so one of the first things we did was really listen to our African-American employees. I'm part of a group called One Life that's through Vineyard Cincinnati. That's a business owners group. And there's an African-American business owner And I said to him, what do I need to be doing right now to support this cause? And he said, right now, the thing I need from you is don't be silent. Mm -hmm. And so I spent the entire weekend Mm -hmm. learning and understanding systematic racism at a point that I hadn't really fully understood, came back, engaged my team on this conversation. And we had this kind of roundtable discussion to talk about it. And we said, Number one, are we going to respond? The answer was yes. And number two, how are we going to respond? And I was the spokesperson for the team. I made sure that that was clear that I'm speaking on behalf of the team, speaking on behalf of the company. This is our stance. This is where we stand. And guess what I pointed back to? Core values. I pointed back to respect. I pointed back to trust. I pointed back to equality, which is inside of our core values. And ultimately, I pointed back to the big core value, the one that overarches all of them, which is love. And the opposite, which is fear. And so it got to be, I won't call it simple because it wasn't simple. None of these things were simple. But we had a reference point to go back to, and that was around culture and core values. Well, and I love your, if we can use some of this in our world today, where we actually care what everyone's experiencing, not just what I'm experiencing. Yes. You start opening up, oh, you actually care, and you're some, you're a safe person I can have a conversation to. And I was on the phone earlier today with a CEO who shared, you know, the blessing, the silver lining of us all working from home is that we had a all call to talk about the implications and the impact of what's going on in our world. And I believe more people raised their hand virtually than they would have if we were in a physical room together because of corporate hierarchy right? The individuals that raised their hand that shared what they're really dealing with and tears and emotions and the chat box was blowing up. Like, I had no idea. I love you. I appreciate you. I respect you so much. Thank you for being so strong. You know, it's like maybe there are silver linings in this, right? And are you a leader willing to open up this conversation and not stay silent? Hmm. What a great advice. I quite honestly have some regrets as I look back I mean, I think we all do to some degree, both on race, but also on gender. I never spoke out when the Me Too movement was happening Mm -hmm. as a president of a company who obviously has women in it, as a a father of daughters. I I didn't speak out around the immigration issue Mm -hmm. where a lot of our immigrants were feeling threatened. 
And I have some regrets that I, I think that advice transcends, obviously, this current issue. And I think it's been a wake-up call for us leaders to recognize that people are sitting and waiting to hear because your silence is complicit, right? By not speaking, you're essentially agreeing with the majority, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Silence is very loud. Yes. On these topics. Yes. Right. Wow. Well, thank you both for being here today. Thank you, Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing and guiding and for your leadership in this world. It's needed. And for those listening, please reach out to us. If something today struck a chord, let us know that, right? We're a place where we can have these conversations. You are the reason why we're doing this. We're trying to help transform the world and how it operates and how people feel around the topic of leadership. So Tim, thank you for your leadership. Chris, thank you for your friendship and your leadership as well. And we look forward to hearing and engaging with you on our next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.